Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. By no one's demand but our own, and from our home office here in sunny, scenic, quarantined Elizabeth Park, Nashville, Tennessee. It is the 615 Sessions Podcast. It's powered by Two Rivers Ford. It's brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Hello, friends. Happy Thursday. Hope you're doing well, Buck Rising, here with you, by the way. We have uh, my arch nemesis on the podcast today. It is Titans wide receiver, former Titans wide receiver, Titans legend, in fact, Derek Mason, an old friend of mine, a co-worker, and as I mentioned, the bane of my existence. We have a lot to catch up with today with D. Mace, Dory Jackson, Isaiah Wilson, much to discuss over the course of the pod and your Music City mailbag questions at the end of the show. First, though, a quick message from our friends at Two Rivers Ford. They want to wind down this crazy year by saying thank you so much to all of their customers. They've been in business, of course, here in Middle Tennessee for almost 40 years, and they've seen a lot of ups and downs, right? But 2020, there's nothing like it. In the history of our lives, there's been nothing like this year. It takes the cake. I stopped by there the other day, and they told me that they've been really honored that they have been able to stay open to help serve and service our community here in Nashville and the Mid-State throughout the entire pandemic. And they've definitely continued to do a lot for our community with things like the Drive the Music initiative. But enough about 2020, because it's about 2021 at this point. Two Rivers, they got a lot of great stuff to look forward to. The new Bronco Sport, they're already arriving at the dealership in Mount Juliet for those who have pre-ordered them. And the Bronco is on its way. By the way, Two Rivers Ford is your Ford Bronco headquarters. You can call Matthew or Jay over there. They'll walk you through all things Ford Bronco. Maybe you want to find out about the 2021 F-150. It's out right now. And I got to say, you know what I like best about it? They have designed it for people like me who sometimes need a nap in the car. Sometimes I got a lot of work to do. Sometimes I'm on my way from Titans practice. Sometimes I need a quick 20 minutes to catch some shut-eye, and the Ford has literally designed a comfortable nap space in the new F-150. It's my kind of truck, I swear to you. All new electric Mach-E Mustangs have arrived, an electric Mustang that goes from 0 to 60 in 3.5. Damn, that's fast. Ford is literally making the best vehicles they've ever made, and Two Rivers Ford is the only place to get one. Oh, and their non-commissioned sales staff, they'll make sure that you have the best possible car buying experience. It's all possible at Two Rivers Ford or online at tworiversford.com. Let's get to DMX. 
back here. 615 Sessions podcast on the GetBeast.com Zoom line. It is my arch nemesis. It is my former co-worker. He is shoveling his face full of steel-cut oats right now because he is the consummate unprofessional. He is Titans uh, legend, Hall of Famer, soon to be, without any question, Derek Mason, former Titans wide receiver. Hello, buddy. How are you? Hey, man, I've had better days, but I'm not going to complain. Um, you know, I'm sorry that I was um, a little bit, you know, in and out. You know, I was cooking my steel cut oats. And any, like I told you, any self-respected steel cut oat cooker knows that it takes 30 minutes to cook steel cut oats. So I had to put you on hold. Listen, I'm so happy that your breakfast is more important than me waking up carry your ass for a 45 minute podcast but i appreciate i appreciate you taking the time and it's good that you are self-respecting uh as a steel cut oat eater because i'm probably going to spend the next you know the next uh the course of our time together disrespecting you so i suppose <laughs> i suppose somebody has to show respect for Derek mace around here no we're very happy to have our friend d mace back on the pod it has been too long uh, the pandemic has taken a toll on all of us, clearly, as I look like absolute hell this morning. Um, but we are going to talk about a variety of different subjects around the local professional football team. And because D. Mace is a respected voice in the community, if not on this podcast, we uh, we thought we would ring him up and check in with the uh, check in with the old man. You look you look like you you by the you do look old, by the way. Like I will say to you, you got your scarf on. You got your you got your grandpa steel cutouts in front of you. <laughs> Look at you petting the scarf. It's unbelievable. I uh, I would say I would say you are the better looking of the two of us right now in the Zoom call because it's too early for me to be dealing with your crap. Um, but also, I think the pandemic has aged you, Demise. <laughs> it's early in the morning, man. <laughs> I'm still trying to wake up myself. So what, what, have you been do- what have you been doing with yourself since the last time that we talked? I know that you have been doing very important things to raise funds uh, mm-hmm. for, uh, for cancer research. Uh, you have partnered uh, with people in the local community to generate funds. Before I get to ripping you and before we get to your analysis, why don't you inform the people of how they can go and help support your causes? Uh, well, we did, um, as the NFL does each year, um, we did our campaign, the uh, Real Men Wear Pink campaign. What I didn't realize um, as I started to, right before I uh, agreed to be a part of it, because my mom um, succumbed to cancer. She, she battled it for seven years. It started as breast cancer, but it metastasized. And eventually, after seven years, um, it got into her brain and she passed away in 2014. So a good friend of mine, Lindsay, uh, approached me and she knew my story and asked me what I co-chair um, with Rashid, who's a, another uh, Real Men Wear Pink campaign um, co-chair, um, asked if I would co- uh, co-chair with them. And she, I mean, as soon as she said it, I said yes, um, because I understand how cancer affect, not just breast cancer, but cancer in general affects a family. It devastated my dad, um, it devastated my younger sister. Uh, and it, it just, it, it changes the dynamic of the family uh, when you lose a parent, uh, even though it's, you know, typically that's the process, you know, your, your parents get old and, you know, eventually they live a good life and eventually uh, they go home. 
Um, but my mom died at a young age. She was 62, 63 when she passed away. Uh, and again, it devastated my dad. So if I can help in any way, it's hard to see a family go through uh, what we went through. So if I can help in any way, if Rashe could help in any way, uh, we were all for it. So the Real Men Wear Pink campaign started here in Tennessee. Um, and I think the late 80s, early 90s, uh, which I didn't know until I started reading about it. Um, and now it's a, you know, worldwide thing. And there was 50 plus um, candidates for the Real Men Wear Pink. And we had to raise $2,500 each man. Uh, and we did. We sur we surpassed our goal of one hundred and thirty thousand um, dollars, you know, for for that particular uh, month of October, and we surpassed it. We had a bunch of things going on, um, and it was just a joy to meet different people and hear their stories. It was kind of odd because we had to do a lot of things through Zoom. Um, we had our kickoff through Zoom, was which I was fortunate enough to be the MC. Um, for the regional kickoff, which consisted of Nashville, I mean, the Tennessee, the Nashville area, Michigan area, uh, some other states in between. That was really, a really a joy for me because I haven't done things like that, um, you know, in my career. I've, I've, I've spoken to a lot of people, but not, you know, via Zoom to a lot of states. So that was, that was a joy for me to do. Uh, but, you know, we raised our money. Uh, we raised $130,000. So, you know, whatever we did and whatever everyone else did, all that money will go toward research. Uh, all that money will go toward, you know, making sure women and men, because as I found out, over 2,200 men per year are diagnosed with breast cancer. Um, so it's not just a, you know, woman's issue. It's a men's issue as well. So, uh, men go get your mammograms and, and obviously women need to go get them, you know, each and every year. But the pandemic made it a lot harder for women to go get mammograms. Um, so now that they're able to, I would, you know, advise every woman out there, once you get to a certain age, I think around 40, somewhere around there, you need to go get your mammogram. Because the last thing you want to do is put it off, put it off, and then eventually go to the doctor and you find a lump and it's too late. So what you can do now is you can say, thank you, Buck, because now I've positioned you as a very, very sympathetic figure, a noble human being, uh, and I look like the asshole because I started off this podcast talking smack to our good friend Derek Mason. No, it's a very noble thing uh, that you guys were doing over the course of the month of October and, and great work being done uh, by the Real Men Wear Pink campaign let's let's talk let's talk shop and then we can talk about what uh you know how where the two of us have come and now where we find ourselves uh after where we started because i do think people enjoy the inside baseball aspects of those kind of things <laughs> i uh i i look derek because i be with, with everything that's gone on this year this is COVID is has been weird right you're talking about hosting charitable campaigns on Zoom. I've just got gotten off of, as we sit here taping this on a Thursday morning, got off assistant coach press conferences that we now do on Zoom. Everything's different. But in this year, for the Tennessee Titans and the, the off-season moves that they've tried to make, Isaiah Wilson yesterday gets put on the non-football injury list. John Robinson has to put out a statement saying that he needs to leave the team 
for a certain amount of time to handle personal issues. I realized yesterday as I was going back through how many times we've talked to Isaiah Wilson, we have talked to this young man once over the course of 13 weeks as an NFL football player because we're our only access to them on Zoom is and so uh, is, is now through Zoom. So um, I'm trying to figure out how I should process all of the things that have gone down with this young man over the course of his year because I don't know him. And I feel like there's a big part of my, my knowledge base that's missing because of our lack of access. I guess from your perspective, as somebody who's been in locker rooms, as somebody who has seen teammates go through various struggles, because it's not totally uncommon, although this seems to be a little bit of a unique situation for Isaiah, how have you kind of, how have you kind of processed his whole, the whole genesis of his story so far since the time that he was drafted through the DUI, now two stints on the COVID list, now on the non-football injury list, having to be removed from the team? Uh, well, this is a situation where a young man, uh, people got to understand, uh, especially with young players, um, that for so long, these men, these young men, or even boys, have been told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. They've been coddled, they've been protected uh, for so long, especially him coming from Georgia. I mean, you got a high profile, uh, um, high profile university, high profile program, a, a program that makes sure they do whatever it takes to keep those guys um, sort of in line, to make sure they don't step out too, too far outside the boundaries. So you take a young guy like this who already has some, you know, issues, just like any college player, whatever background you come from. You could come from a low-income background. You can come from an affluent background. All these kids have problems. They may not tell you what the problems are, but they come in with problems. Um, so you take a kid like this who might have come in with some problems, but someone was there every day to sort of guide him through. And then all of a sudden you get drafted bunch of money set on your lap and I'm pretty sure he has people around him but just having people around you doesn't always help you gotta you gotta have someone not just around you but feeding you with with things that are going to help you grow as a person as a man but even with all of that he comes into the NFL and it's like a whirlwind things are not quite going the way he wanted to you find yourself in a situation when you get in the DUI which you know what I mean it's bad in a sense. Thank God nothing happened to him or no one else. Right. Um, but things like this, and I don't want to sound callous when I say it, things like this happen to young people at times. Happen to me. I mean, I didn't get a DUI, but there's there are there are plenty of instances in my uh, in my younger life where that could have absolutely exactly. been me. I feel like everybody, it's not callous to say, I think it's, it's something, something that people don't want to talk about openly because it, it's easy to cast aspersions as opposed to, you know, reveal anything that you've gone through in your life. But I'm sure many people, if not everyone listening to this podcast, has had a moment where they could have been in a compromising situation. Exactly. I'm pretty sure there are a lot of people that had a few drinks because it, depending on your body weight size, it might only take one drink for you to be over the limit. 
So I'm pretty sure there are plenty of your listeners that have went out, had a good time, got in their car and drove home. And by the grace of God, they didn't get pulled over or they didn't, you know, um, affect someone else's life by getting right. in an accident. So this young man, you know, in the NFL, the spotlight's on him. All this stuff he's never had, now he's had, now he has. He makes a bad decision choice. He makes a bad choice by going out, having fun, getting inside of a car, and then going home, trying to trying to get home. He gets pulled over. You have that on your plate. Then you get popped, you know, you get tested for COVID twice, or you get to put in the pro- protocol twice. Then that sort of is on your plate as well. Now you're asked to leave the team for whatever reasons. We don't know. Uh, we can speculate, but we don't know. Now, this is just another thing on top of the last two or three things that you had to go through. And people are always going to assume because of the DUI, because of the, you know, the COVID incidents that now what he's done is bad. And it may not be bad. Something happened at, his, at home. It may not be something that he has any control over. Right. But a lot of people are going to look at it as, well, this guy messed up once or twice already, so it must be something he's done. Um, you know, back home or something that affects him that he's done back home. It might not necessarily be the case, but this young man now is in a situation where it just seems like the world is on his chest and he needs to find a way to sort of, you know, work his way through all of this and, 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 and get himself back on the right track. I'm pretty sure Coach Vrabel is going to do what is necessary to make sure this young man comes back to the team mentally ready, not only physically, but more importantly, mentally ready to be back as a part of the Tennessee Titans. If that doesn't happen, then shame on everyone. But knowing that organization, they're going to make sure they do whatever's necessary to make sure this young man has an opportunity to come back and be the best, not just athlete, but be the best person he can be, not just for that team, but for this community. For certain. And I think I there are there are a variety of different reasons that that's going to happen, right? One, if they are they are ultimately tied to his success or his failure as people who are responsible for vetting him and drafting him. They have to make sure that they do everything in their power, not just from a personal standpoint, but from a professional standpoint, to make sure that this young man can succeed or contribute as a part of this football team. But the larger issue. Derek, that I find is what you're talking about. He has spent so much time away from the actual team that Mm -hmm. I think he has to a degree, and there's time to make this up, right? But to a degree, he has lost the benefit of the doubt from the players who are supposed to surround him. The one time, so we've talked to him a total of three times. We talked to Mm -hmm. him the night that he got drafted when they put the, the players on the conference call with all us vultures to talk to you, uh, to talk to them immediately <laughs> after. Uh, they, they, he came on, he came on this podcast right after he was drafted. And we had a, we had a fun conversation. This was long before you know any of the incidents started to happen. And then we spoke to him once in August in a more traditional press conference setting via Zoom. And that was it. That was the last time that we spoke in Isaiah Wilson. But from that press conference is that clip that I sent you that the audience will hear. Uh, of him talking about wanting to find his place within the family of the Tennessee Titans locker room, trying to find where his role is, how he fits among his teammates who do become your family for as much time as you spend with these guys. 
Um, this is definitely different than my first year at Georgia. Um, I'm honestly just trying to, it, it's the same in some places and um, different in others. Um, it's nothing like Georgia. This is a completely different team, but your first year with anything you're doing that's new, um, you just try to, you know, find find a family in there. You know, I've been accepted by the team. Um, and just trying to learn everything you can and go out there and actually implement it in what you're doing is, I, I would say, is similar to Georgia. But uh, other than that, I mean, it's two totally different teams, two totally different situations. Um, you're just trying to find, you know, your place in the new group of people that you are with. But right now, based on the based on the conversations that I have with the guys in that locker room, mm-hmm. the family vibe doesn't feel like it's very, very present at this point. It feels like they feel that they have been betrayed to a degree consistently enough to where they're just kind of over this young man mm-hmm. at this point. Because and I don't want to, I don't want to, I don't want to put, again, I don't want to be reckless in the way that I say things, but the way that I kind of understand Isaiah Wilson's interactions with his teammates, at least, it's almost a little bit like the behavior of an addict. Now, I'm not calling Isaiah Wilson an addict, but I'm saying that guys want to give him chances. Guys are willing to give him chances. And then once they have given him a number of chances and he says all the right things and he looks to to their face to be doing all the right things but then the behavior immediately reverts back to what it was before that's kind of what I'm talking about when I'm talking about the behavior of an addict Josh Gordon is famous for this how many chances has somebody like Josh Gordon been given where he said all the right things he's done all the interviews he's been publicly accountable, and then the behavior immediately reverts back to it. Now, some of that is out of your control, right? It's Addiction is a legitimate disease. And again, yeah. we are not putting that, that, we are not putting Isaiah Wilson in that box. But what I'm hearing sounds to me like that kind of behavior in a way that the players in that locker room, enough of them that, that I feel comfortable saying that, are just kind of removed from the situation at this point because they are tired of being betrayed by that behavior that continues to recur. If you are, as somebody who has been in these positions and not necessarily with somebody like Isaiah, but I'm sure there have been teammates mm-hmm. who have gone through struggles, who, have, who you feel like have let you down, and we're not asking, asking to name names, but how, how – Explain, I guess, that dynamic for the people listening at home rather than just me saying he, sh- he said, she said type of stuff. Um, the way you got to look at it is this. That locker room is a close-knit environment. Um, the minute you step in, whether you're there for training camp, mini camp, the whole camp, the whole year, the minute you walk into that locker room, your family, that's just the way it is because we're all working toward a common goal. You might be here for a week or two, but in that week or two, we're family. And because you're trying to make me better, I'm trying to make you better. They brought you on this team for a specific reason because they thought you could help. So I'm not going to, 
you know, alienate you and say, well, you're not going to be here in a week, so I'm not going to even talk to you. No, that's not how you operate in a family environment. The minute, you know, mom and dad opens the door to, to someone, you treat them like family and you embrace them and you love them for as long as they're there. And then once they're not there, then okay. But if you see them out, then hey, I still love you because we spent a considerable amount of time together and it just didn't work out. But, you know, it's not that I, it wasn't because of what I did. It was just, you know, in football, it, sometimes it just happens. For Isaiah and for this organization, I get, you know, some of the guys sort of washing their hands. But in situations like that, I don't think you wash your hands. I think as long as he's in that locker room, you love him and you treat him as a brother. And you offer the help. If he doesn't ask, you wait for him to ask. But if you're, if you're that leader, then you go to him, pull him to the side. You go to him and say, listen, is there anything that I can do for you? You know, do you need help with this? And only thing you can do as a, as a leader on that team is offer your help. It's up to him then to accept it. But never, and I repeat, never do you just throw a guy away. You know, you never just dismiss the guy and say, you know what, we're giving him chance after chance. And you just say, forget it, I'm done with him. No, because I'm pretty sure there are situations with other guys on that team that are probably leaders, that have done things that we just don't know about. And that consistently do things that we just don't know about. And some of them we do know about. <laughs> exactly. No one throws them away. Why? Because they are the big money guys, because they are the guys that are contributing every day, every Sunday to a win or a loss. So you're not going to necessarily throw those guys away. Guys are going to look past maybe their, you know, their transgressions or their, you know, things that may be not so right with them. People will look past them. With Isaiah, you got to understand a few things. He's young. He has to become an adult very quickly and to, you got to understand where this guy is from. I don't know what his upbringing was, but you can't dismiss a guy unless you know what his upbringing is. You know, if you, to me, if you just dismiss a guy, you don't want to know anything about him. You, he wasn't your brother in the first place. If you, you can give him chance after chance, but if you dismiss him after a while without trying to get to know him, then you, why even, you know, as a, why even consider him a part, why even consider him a brother, a part of that team? To me, the guys that are, and I don't know who the guys are, but the guys that are sort of dismissing him now, maybe these are the guys that need to get to know him intimately. Like, know where he's from. Know who his parents are, his siblings. Why certain things happen. How did he react when those things happen? You know, what's going on in his life now? then you can make a determination on whether, you know, this guy is just a bad apple or this guy is just a guy that is still trying to figure things out in the world. Again, he's a young guy with a bunch of money in the spotlight. Again, it doesn't dismiss or it doesn't, you know, excuse the DUI. It doesn't because you just have to be a little bit smarter. But you got to understand, there are things he's probably going through that you know have no idea. And you don't want to have any idea because you don't want to ask him. But if you're considered a leader on this team, 
you got to approach him and say, listen, what's really going on? Let's sit down. Let's talk. And guys may have done that. I don't know. But you can't dismiss a guy if you haven't really tried to get to know him. I think, I think there's a number of different factors that come into that, right? One, with, with as much time as he spent away from the team, there have been fewer, far fewer opportunities to be able to get to know him. Now that with, with FaceTime and with, with uh, all the ways that we're able to communicate with one another right now, especially the way that everything's been digitized uh, now that we are being asked to stay apart on a regular basis, there are, there are, there are no excuses for not going not making the extra effort. But it is easier for somebody like Isaiah to avoid those potential opportunities for people to reach out, right? Because you're removed, because you're away from people. You don't have to answer your phone. You don't have to accept a Zoom request. Now, I don't know that that's happening, but I do think that there's a little bit of both of those things happening. I do think it's a fair point by you to say, okay, well, why aren't you making the extra effort? It is, it is your, it is, in the same way that it's John Robinson and Mike Vrabel's, job to make sure that this guy succeeds it is collectively the goal of that locker room the objective of that locker room the job of that locker room to make sure that Isaiah Wilson succeeds I I I hope that things get corrected because he seems to be again my my dealings have been very very limited but he seems to be a really bright guy and I don't understand where the disconnect is but I think there are a lot of things that I mean, we're all we're all going through some mental stuff right now with the way that this year has has uh, broken down, and I think that it is a really hard thing to understand the kind of pressure that Isaiah Wilson, uh, the kind of pressure that Isaiah Wilson is facing as somebody who's been thrust into this situation in 2020 in the midst of a global pandemic and all of these things that have come to pass. I think well, there's you, know, you got to. You got to, I mean, you don't know what's going on with him at home. Not, I'm not saying home here in Nashville. I'm saying back at his original home. Family life. Exactly, family life. You don't know if he's getting phone calls in the middle of the, of the night from his parents or from a sibling or from a friend. And these are things that affects a young guy, especially if they don't have that buffer. I was so blessed to have a buffer. And the buffer was my ex-wife, Marcy. We got married young, which was great, but she was that buffer for me that whatever came to me, it went through her first. So, you know, I was still able to go out and do my job and whatever problems that was outside of our home, whether it be back at home in Michigan with my family or her family, it never really penetrated and affected my job at work because she was that buffer for me. Maybe Isaiah don't have that buffer here for him. You know, someone can, that can take that phone call and say, listen, I'll relay the message to Isaiah and get it to him. But when they relay the message, they sort of minimize it or diffuse it just a little bit, you know, because if you're getting calls from your parents and your brothers, sisters, friends, all the time, eventually for a young guy, your head starts spinning and you might do or say something that you will regret eventually. I, 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 uh, it just makes me think of the night he got drafted. I don't know, I don't know if, you were watching, uh, if you were watching the draft that night, the live look in 
that they had into his living room when the Titans picked him, when the girlfriend's sitting on his lap yeah. and she's in the camera shot and mama comes in and yanks the girlfriend out the camera exactly. shot. But, so maybe maybe the girlfriend was the buffer, but mama got her the hell out of there. I don't. We don't know. We don't know yeah, what's just going saying, on in the young man's life. They're just saying, there's, you should have known by just that small thing. And I know a lot of people made fun of it. I did. A lot of people memes and laughs. Yeah. But you don't know. That small thing was just a, that thing right there was just a small glimpse into how potentially chaotic his life was and will be, um, you know, then and now. It could be even worse now. So we laughed at that. We made fun of it. But that was just a glimpse of the chaos that probably was going on and continues to go on in his family dynamic. Well, you didn't laugh at it because you're a nice person. I laughed at it because I'm a jerk and it was funny in the moment. But your, uh, your point is well taken about that. With, with, with this team as a whole, now that they're 8-4, they're and four, which, Derek, I, is, is a godsend for, for, the, for at least when I came and we started working together when I moved here to Nashville. I used to hate watching this football team. I used to absolutely <laughs> just Just deep down in my soul, I used to hate them for what they would do to my Sunday viewing football experience. But now they're scoring points all over the place. They've got two incredibly gifted uh, wide receivers um, between A.J. Brown and Corey Davis, who now that he's healthy, he's right, he's confident, he's comfortable within the scheme. He's an absolute monster out there. From From the perspective of those two, what has been your evaluation of them as individuals and how they work together with this quarterback? Um, them as individuals, I think, let's start with, uh, with, with Corey Davis. I think I'm, it was a blessing that he was drafted the first receiver, top five pick in the National Football League. I mean, that's a dream come true for him. I believe that they wanted him to come in and be the number one receiver. Corey is a really, really good receiver, but he's not your number one receiver. He's not. Uh, he is, he can probably, if these two guys stay together, which I think the Titans would be idiots to let both of them go. I agree. With um, now, the, the market may dictate that, hey, somebody else might pay them more money than what the Titans can pay them. That, that can happen. But if you are in earshot or, or in, that, in that ballpark of paying these two young men the money they deserve, you pay them and keep them together. Because to me, the, these two guys can be sort of that yin and yang. These two guys can work wonderfully together. But going back to Corey Davis, they wanted him to be a number one. Corey's not a number one. He's just not. Um, and that's no knock on him. I think he's a phenomenal receiver, but he's not a number one receiver. It showed. It showed that he wasn't a number one receiver the last three or four years prior to this year. Corey is a damn good number two. When the, when, when the defense is, is, is not geared to, to stopping him, he will, he will dismantle you. He'll kill if you're you. working one-on-one with someone, he will dismantle you. Because to me, he's a technician at his route run. He does a really good job getting in and out of breaks. He reminds me so much of Kevin Dyson. His abilities, I think Kevin is, 
Kevin was a little bit more skilled coming in than Corey Davis is. But to me, those two guys are, are similar in, in their build. Uh, both of them were, well, are about 6'2", six, 6'3", six, way about the same. Kevin, they're, ter- they're pterodactyls. They're, they're yeah, unbelievable. Kevin was a little bit faster than, than, than uh, Corey. But those guys were able to use their big frame and not only use it, but being 6'1", 6'2", 6'3", sometimes it's hard to drop your hips and get in and out of breaks. Kevin Dyson was a genius at getting in and out of his breaks like a small guy. I would watch him a lot in practice just to get tips on certain things he did. Corey, to me, is the same type athlete. He finds a way to get in in and out of his breaks like a smaller guy. He's been able to, because now he's the number two, and now that he's healthy, he's been able to go out there and really put pressure on the, on the defense. Meaning, you can't guard this guy one-on-one. You can't guard him with your second or third defensive back. And teams, because of what AJ's doing, they can't afford to put their number one on Corey because then AJ end up having 100 yards, you know, three, 400 yards that day. So they got to put their number two or three on Corey, and Corey will just basically dismantle them. And that's what he has been doing. So Corey is a damn good number two. He can play that number one role if he have to for a couple of weeks, but I don't think innately he's a number one. Go over to A.J. Brown. The guy's a stud. He's a legit number one. Here, before we start in on A.J., let, let me ask you a question about Corey because I, I said last year, heading into last season, that if Corey Davis had a bad year, it's because of operator error. It's because of the quarterback. It's because of Marcus Mariota, essentially, is what I was saying. How much do we have to grade? Are, is your evaluation based on the entire body of work, or are we grading it all on a scale for what Marcus Mariota, how Marcus Mariota may have limited his potential as a number one wide receiver because Marcus Mariota ultimately failed here? Well, I don't think it was uh, – I don't. you know what? I don't think a lot of it was Marcus's problem. Okay. Because if what I realize now, Watching the OC now, had Marcus had this OC when he first came into the NFL, Marcus would have succeeded. If Marcus had Derrick Henry behind him, when he, even though he had um, um, DeMarco. DeMarco, and DeMarco was phenomenal. No, but he started with Bishop Sankey. Bishop Sankey, I'm sure he was exactly. a nice man. He stunk. He stunk exactly. in professional football. Exactly. No one's Derrick Henry. Yeah. No one's Derrick Henry. When you have Derrick Henry behind you, there are a lot of things you can do as a quarterback. If Marcus Mariota had this offensive coordinator and Derrick Henry in his third or fourth year, when he came out, Marcus would still be here. You know why? Because everything the Tennessee Titans do is because of Derrick Henry. Derrick Henry dictates what that defense does. When he's in the game, the defense plays one way. When he's out of the game, they play another way. You cannot, and I repeat, you cannot stop Derrick Henry with a five, six, seven-man box. you got to bring somebody else down in the box to try to stop him. And a lot of times, it just don't work. You know what that does for the quarterback and receivers and the tight ends? Let's it's meet. One-on-one. Exactly. It's one-on-one across the board. It's, it's pitch and catch. That's just what it is. So I'm not going to put 
the failures on markets all on him. I think he came into a situation to be a savior without the help around him. You know, everybody that was around him that were in key positions were either inept or were young. Then all of a sudden, you bring in another offensive coordinator. Derrick Henry is now, what, three or four years in the league, three years in the league, you change the quarterback. Now all of a sudden, this dynamic of his team changes. You know why? Because everybody figured out what I had been saying years prior, that if we're going to be successful, we got to run this offense through Derrick Henry. And Derrick Henry, if he runs the way he ran in Alabama, we will be highly effective. Mark my words, you take Derrick Henry out of this offense, this is a much different offense. Much it all – see, this is how I know the sports talk radio thing has not left you. It all comes back to Derrick Mason was right. He just – this. I've been telling you all for years. You people haven't been listening to me. I've been telling you. I done told y'all. Derrick yeah. Henry, this is you're, – you're such a gas bag. I mean, just <laughs> this is, this is unbelievable. That, this is a guy that was, you know, in limited time. And I know he had his deficiencies. He was a young bat. Yeah. But this is the guy, no matter what, he was averaging over 4.5 yards a carry. Nobody, nobody, no, it doesn't matter how many times he got stopped for losses, how many times he tried to bounce outside and he should have stayed inside. When it was all said and done at the end of the day, he was averaging over 4.5 yards a carry. Yeah. Well, eventually, once he figured everything out, he was going to be a dominating bat. Derrick Henry is the best pure running back in the National Football League right now. And if he ever, ever, and I mean ever, you know, I don't know, maybe develop soft hands, he's an okay catcher. If he, can, if he became a good catcher, this guy would be unstoppable. I mean, literally unstoppable. He will become a three-down back or a four-down back. You never take him out the game. So Derrick Henry, to me, is the best pure running back in the National Football League right now. And for the Tennessee Titans, that works. They got a great offensive line when Taylor's in the game. They have a really good offensive line. And then they do a really good job at play-action pass, which, which, means to, which means you don't know when, 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 when the quarterback turns his back, you don't know if he's giving it to Derrick Henry or not. But you got to respect the fact that if Derrick Henry does get the football, you need to have that eighth man in the box. So when I play action, that, that safety is going to come up and those linebackers are going to come up. And it's pitch and catch outside. So this offense is tailor-made for the quarterback, those two big receivers they have, and that wonderful tight end they have, um, and that offensive line, all because of one man, and that's Derrick Henry. So did you enjoy – I don't know if you were on Twitter yesterday, but I got, I got dragged. I got absolutely dragged on the I, internet, I, which I'm sure you enjoyed because you're petty. Uh, because I said I we we get these uh, for people who don't know we're not actually as smart as we seem in uh, in the NFL media we have most of the facts and figures that we pump out for the people provided to us on these handy dandy uh, game release things before the game and I read I was reading through the one that the Jags sent us for this game ahead of time and it was a Derrick Henry. James Robinson, who's the rookie running back for the Jags. It was a comparison between the numbers mm -hmm. of these two. And so it's got Derrick Henry uh, second in scrimmage yards, James Robinson fourth. Rushing attempts, Derrick Henry first, James, Rob James Robinson third. Rushing yards, Derrick Henry first, James Robinson third. Like there's a, there's pretty close 
mm-hmm. terms of the numbers between an undrafted rookie free agent and a $12.5 million a year running back. And so I put out for the people, Derek, which I'm sure you'll enjoy. I said, uh, I said basically, the fact that the numbers are this close should make all these running back people run for the hills, like scur- <laughs> scurry, scatter, get out of here with your, with your pay the running back, the second contract thing, even though I do admit that I was wrong on the Derrick Henry thing because I do think that's a lot more about what it's, – it's more than just about what he does on the field. It's about what he does for the locker room, what he does for the team, and how much he helps everything that you're talking about. That I will concede defeat on. But I put these numbers out for the people, and I just absolutely got crushed, just, <laughs> just buried on the Internet. Our buddy Teron Davenport came at me, Teresa Walker, all the nice people, which means I know – that's when I know I screwed up. That's, uh, that's what happened to me yesterday on Twitter, which I'm sure, if you saw it, gave you great pleasure. Yeah, I mean, Derek Henry is uh, unprofessional. Unprofessional. I'm so sorry. You've done so good. You haven't even taken a bite of your oatmeal. And because you're old, you can't figure out how to shut off your phone on the laptop. This is giving me great enjoyment. Exactly. Um, Let me get back to you. Can you see me? I think you can see me. Yes, I can see you. What are you. Hey man, you know, listen. I'm looking I'm not, right at I'm you. Not, I wish I couldn't see you, but I could see you. I'm not astute to this whole um, Zoom thing quite like you are. Yeah, you're an old um, man. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, but um, the deal with Derrick Henry is this. You're right. If you look at the two numbers, the comparable numbers between he and the running back uh, uh, at Jacksonville, Robinson, yes, they do compare. But here's the difference. Uh, It's not, like you said, it's not necessarily all the time about the numbers. It's what Derrick Henry does for that offense. It's what Derrick Henry makes the defense do when he's in the game. Mm. You got to know when Derrick Henry's in the game as a defensive coordinator, we have to bring an extra man or two in the box. And as a skilled guy on the outside, I love it because that means more than likely I'm going to get cover three, man coverage. I'm going to get some type of uh, one-on-one situations, which for a receiver, that's what you love. That's what you want. So it's not just Derrick Henry, you know, maybe, you know, if Derrick Henry has 1,000 yards, then a undrafted rookie has 900 yards. We're not – this is not about yardage. It's about what does – how does Derrick Henry affect the game, even when he doesn't have the football? Yeah. Even when he's not getting the football. Derrick Henry, to me, is, is – I call certain receivers, like Julio Jones. Um, there may be a couple other receivers out there. They are secondary shifters. And what I mean by that, and I'm going to coin that, but what I mean by that is that when they are on the field – I'm going to coin that. This man's out here applying for trademarks in the middle of podcasts. Hell out of here. And you better not use it, okay? But here it is. (laughs) When they are on the field, your secondary has to shift over to them. And they got to know exactly where they're at. Well, when Derrick Henry's on the field, he's a linebacker and safety shifter. When he's in the backfield, those linebackers got to shift. And that safety has to shift up. Because they just don't know if Derrick Henry's getting the ball or not. And again, what does it do for the guys outside and for the tight ends? It makes their job much easier. It's pitch and catch all day for those guys when Derrick Henry's on the field. And I don't think it's like that for any other back in the National Football League at this point in time. 
Yeah, I, 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 I do. I do think I did a disservice with just a flat out numbers comparison. But you know, I gotta, I gotta poke the people every once in a while. I gotta wake <laughs> them up a little bit, remind them. Uh, what, what, uh, you know, just, just bother them a little bit, get people going on the internet. Uh, in the, in the, in the few minutes that we have remaining, cause I have to run to a staff meeting and get yelled at by my bosses about whatever I've done wrong lately. Uh, in the few, <laughs> the few minutes that we have left here, uh, people don't know, or maybe, maybe some of them do, but not all of them do because this is largely a new audience and there's a, a lot of, uh, a lot more people who are having to pay attention to my stupidity on a regular basis now than were uh, when you and I first worked together. And not many people know that I was your intern for the better part of six months when we worked at a radio station together. And so I think it would be interesting for the people, for Derek Mason to tell them what I was like as an intern when I was too scared to talk to you and Darren McFarland until, you know, one day you started making fun of my voice. <laughs> For some reason, and I don't, we, we sort of unleashed this beast that they call, you know, <laughs> I mean. Hello. It's Buck me. now. We unleashed this beast that they call Buck now. You just go by one name and it's Buck. I'm surprised you just hadn't changed your name to a symbol or something. Right, it's, it's LeBron, it's Zion, it's Prince, it's Buck. It's okay. Exactly. So before the, the buck emergence, <laughs> there was just deep voice guy. Mm -hmm. And deep voice, guy, deep voice guy rarely said anything. But when he said it, he said it with this deep, very white type of tone. So we coined you deep voice guy. I think we coined you deep voice guy at first because we kept forgetting your name. That's so we just said, you know what, deep voice guy. Disrespect. And it picked up. And I think you accepted the name Deep Voice Guy. But the one thing I, I, I will say about, you know, you and even, you know, other people that I've worked with, young people that I, I see now that are doing their thing and are doing it well on, on, on radio or television, is that y'all were hard workers. And y'all went in each and every morning making sure that our job wasn't just easy, but it was fun, you know? you guys made sure we had everything that we needed, um, you know, when it came to the radio thing. And if we need to, you know, getting that in and out of breaks and, you know, making sure we had everything, the voiceovers, everything that we needed, you guys were, were there and made sure we had those things. Um, and it took you a while to kind of warm up to Darren and I, but, but eventually you did. It's sort of like the locker room. You kind of got to feel your way in and then eventually you can kind of open up a little bit. And I think after a while, you sort of opened up a little bit. Once we started to rag on you a little bit and it made you feel a part of the family. And then you opened up and, 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 and that might have been the worst decision that we made, you know, and, and allowing you to open up and allow your true colors to just shine. Because now you're just, I mean, hell, we can't stop you now. You're like a, you're like a train going downhill. Oh yeah. Nothing's stopping you, man. <laughs> no. All, the only thing you can do is blow up the bridge and even then I'm going to make a mess. Like that's how it's going to go. No. I uh, I I I it is it was a mistake by you to get me to open up because then I decided after I spent more time around you that I didn't like either of you very much <laughs> and that I should just, <laughs> that I should just spend my time. But you know the best ripping you mercil that, mercilessly. Man. 
the best part about all of that is that once you um, once you sort sort of made your presence known and felt um, not just to us but to our listeners, um, I think you found your lane and you started to grow in that lane. And when you started to grow in that lane, people started to see the talent and they started to respect you more and more and more. And I will I will say this. And, and, and humbly and with all you know, respect toward you and gratitude toward you is that when you came on our show after you left, um, those crazos for letting you go, but it is what it is. But after you left, when you, when you came back and you did the you know, 15 or 20 minutes we, on our show, um, I think what we do it every Wednesday, somewhere around there. Oh yeah. People loved it. They truly, truly loved it. And it was probably one of our highest rated, you know, time slots we had, um, you know, when I was on radio, whenever you came on, because it was this banter back and forth between you, I, Darren, um, and, and Chase and whatnot. But it was fun, but not only fun, but informative, because you just didn't sit there and have fun. You gave us what we wanted in regards to Titan News. That almost sounded like compliments. Like you're, you're. I'm disarmed a little bit. Like I, I, I came in here with hate I and with, you, yes. and with violence. And and Derek Mason is out here like sweet talking me and talking about respect and gratitude. What the hell is this? You're at the game, you're Rusty. You're rusty. Derek Mason. For people who don't remember that radio segment, and if you didn't, you were missing out because D Mason's right. We had a great time. We had a lot of fun. But Derek Mason would threaten to cause me physical harm and to take my life on the radio on a regular basis. So much so that my parents called me one day and said, "Are are, are you guys? Do you guys get along? Like, are you in a are you in a are you in a, an, an okay work environment? Are you are you safe? Are you well? Is this man going to bring physical harm upon you?" And I said, "No, he's just a, he's just a dirty old man that eats oatmeal during the radio, and I like to make fun of him. That's that's all it is. No, I D Mason, I." Uh, it, it gives me it gives me great uh, joy to be able to call you one of my close friends. You you and I were family, baby. You know that absolutely. And, uh, and I uh, and I appreciate it. Would not feel right though if we get went through this whole thing and you didn't take a bite of oatmeal while we sit on the podcast. Like it's just for for old Tom's sake. Where is it? Where's the steel cut? Oh my God, that's mm, that's good. Border, that's borderline pornographic. What just that's some good steel oats right there, boy. <laughs> Let me see it. Let me see it. Oh, it's a big one. (laughs) Talk dirty to me. Derek Mason, Titans legend, here with us on the 615 Sessions podcast. Buddy, thanks for hanging out. Uh, No problem. Anytime, man. So much fun with my good friend Derek Mason. For as hard a time as I give him, I always do enjoy spending time together. Before we get to your Music City Mailbag questions that you have slid into my Instagram DMs with, I got to tell you about the people who brought you Derek Mason via the Zoom line on the GetBeast.com Zoom line. It is Tame the Beast. Over time, it's become clear that it's not just about personal care and grooming products for men at GetBeast.com. It's for beasts of all kinds. They have so many different products that you can shop for the loved ones in your life who need the gift of better scent, maybe a little better uh, exfoliation, maybe a little better body wash, maybe a little better hard hair clay, whatever the case may be. They have it for every beast in your life, not just the man. 
in your life, even though that is my primary use of them. My girlfriend loves all of the personal care and grooming products at GetBeast.com. What you can do ahead of the holidays is you can shop for a Beast box. You can save yourself some cash using that promo code BEAST2020 on the website there, on any of their online inventory, and it'll save you that 20% as we talked about. Do the right thing. Groom boldly. Smell better this holiday season if you're spending time around family at GetBeast.com, courtesy of our friends at Tame the Beast. Okay, Music City Mailbag questions. You guys have slid in my DMs at Buck Rising, R-E-I-S-I-N-G. Majonesy. 88 starts the bidding. Buck, at this stage in their careers, what is your assessment of Evans and Landry's development? He's talking about Rashawn Evans and Harold Landry. Is it just me or have they been meh? So I think I think you've got to look at what's happening with Harold Landry. We'll start there first, right? Because what Harold is, is a great piece for this defense. I think that what he has been able to do within the scheme of this defense, within the scale of how many responsibilities that he has, I think he's been a totally good player. I think that the thing that you want him to be, if you're a Titans fan, is an overwhelming, dominating pass rusher. That's not what Harold Landry is. He can play multiple spots within the defense. He can rush the passer. He can drop into coverage. He can allow you to do many different things, allow you to be super creative with what your defensive front is. But what he's not going to do is take over a football game, which is ultimately what you guys need and what you guys have sought in a pass rusher. That was supposed to be Jadavion Clowney. Harold Landry's abilities were supposed to be a direct beneficiary from Jadavion Clowney's disruption. What's happened is without Clowney and without any impact from Beasley or Derek Roberson and now Tuzar Skipper, who are the other outside linebackers who are receiving substantial playing time in this defense, is Harold's abilities are not going unnoticed because against the Colts, you were seeing pressure. He was dominating LaRaven Clark. The, the Colts' backup left tackle is not any good. He's like Jameel Douglas for your particular football team. And it doesn't make Jameel Douglas or Loraven Clark bad people. It just means that they're not ideal to have in your offensive line when you are trying to keep your quarterback protected. You saw the direct effects of that after Anthony Costanzo went down in Indianapolis a few weeks ago. Against Cleveland... He was utterly washed out. Uh, Wilfs totally wrecked him (laughs) on a regular basis because he's not physically overwhelming. He is a speed rusher. He is a versatile piece. And so when you say meh, I would say he's been certainly more than that because he can make game-affecting plays. But I do think that with Harold, you need somebody whose skill set he can work off, off of to make him a much better player, and at this point, he doesn't have that kind of help. And by the way, he's being asked to play way too many snaps right now for the Titans' defense. That's from Majonesy88 on the gram. Darth Stankface wants to know, who's your top candidates for the Titans' defensive coordinator in 2021? Darth Stankface is a great 
uh, is a great Instagram handle. They're in my DMs. Okay, so we spent a little time on the Matt Patricia thing. Maybe not last week, but recently we have talked about Matt Patricia as Titans defensive coordinator. And I've told you absolutely not. Under no circumstances, unless he's undergone some kind of complete and total career transformation. No thank you. On the Matt Patricia front. What I think is going to happen, assuming that this doesn't finish as the historically worst defense in NFL history on third downs. I know that's a little bit redundant. Historically worst third down defense in NFL history. Regardless, you know what I mean. As long as they don't fall off a cliff even further, it is my belief, and I'm not reporting this, but it is my educated guess that Shane Bowen is being ramped up to be the Titans defensive coordinator in years to come, whether that be 2021 or any years after. I think that's what Mike Vrabel is putting him in position to do. The trajectory lines up similarly with what Mike's career trajectory was. Now, he he got fast-tracked, right? Mike Vrabel was a hot head coaching candidate, even though his defense in Houston stunk. And there were a variety of different reasons why that was the case. But that doesn't necessarily happen all the time. But if you're asking me, Outside of Shane Bowen, because I think he's a number one. Like I think that's I think that's what they plan to do. It checks Mike's box of scheme continuity. It checks Mike's box of familiarity. It gives the players more time to get comfortable with Shane Bowen, somebody who they've worked with in years past. I think that's ultimately the plan. But what I would say to you is if it can't be Shane Bowen for reasons of incompetency or otherwise, Vic Fangio, if he gets fired as head coach of the Denver Broncos at the end of the year, that dude is one of the best defensive coaches in the last 10 years of football, without question. He fits the, uh, fits the mold of Dick LeBeau, Dean Pease, although I think he would be younger than both of them. I don't know that for certain. I'll, uh, I'll Google as we sit here how old is uh, love the lifetime research. How old is Vic Fangio? We'll see what Google has to say about that because I do believe that he is substantially younger. He's 62, so he's a spring chicken <laughs> compared to Dick LeBeau and Dean Pease. But he is a veteran defensive coordinator who has had great success in every stop as a coordinator that he has had been that he has had, and unlike Matt Patricia, his defenses have gotten better. They're still very well coached in Denver on that side of the ball. It's not like we're Matt Patricia and they continue to get worse on a regular basis. But right now he's 10 of ten and 13 as head coach of the Denver Broncos. Uh, I really do think that unless he's got a really good relationship with John Elway, which we don't know, that could be a situation that would be very, very beneficial for the Tennessee Titans to explore. That is who I would pursue if he does, in fact, get fired at the end of the season. Your Music City Mailbag questions in my DMs at Buck Rising, R-E-I-S-I-N-G. Here on the 615 Sessions, a lot of fun, a lot of good conversations here on the pod. Hopefully your football weekend is more successful, either Vanderbilt or against Jacksonville for the college and professional football teams here in the state of Tennessee, hopefully for your sake, because Lord knows you're going to be unhappy if you get closer and closer to 9-7, and at least for the Titans' perspective. 
whatever happens, we'll be here to talk about it with you. Now, this will be the first road game in about a month where I haven't traveled. So I will not be in Jacksonville. I will be couch covering, which is among my least favorite things to do, but trying to stay safe before the holiday season so I can spend some time with my parents and uh, continue to uh, continue to make sure that everybody uh, stays in the right space as the global pandemic seems to creep further and further upon us. Hopefully the vaccinations begin soon and uh, can be done safely. Regardless of any of that, I hope that you continue to stay safe. I hope that you continue to stay clean. And I hope that you, as always, Nashville, continue to stay hot. This has been the award-winning 615 Sessions podcast. It's powered by Two Rivers Ford. And it's brought to you, as always, by A to Z Sports and A to Z Sports Nashville.com. Nashville.